Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Sunday, December 29, 2019. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and I, I suppose we'll spend most of this podcast on some of the interesting results from the weekend, because there, there were a few, most notably Kentucky beating Louisville inside Rupp Arena, West Virginia upsetting Ohio State in Cleveland, Kansas embarrassing Stanford inside Maples Pavilion, Arkansas upsetting Indiana at Assembly Hall. We're going to get to all of them, I promise. But I wanted to start with something I wrote Saturday night that got a lot of attention, and that's UCLA's 77-74 loss at home to Cal State Fullerton. So that's three straight losses for the Bruins. They're now 7-6, and and considering Cal State Fullerton, Entered the game ranked 284th at Ken Palm. This was the worst loss for UCLA in the Ken Palm era that dates back to the 2001-2002 season. So this was undeniably a low point for a historically strong program. Predictably, some are now blaming first-year coach Mick Cronin and already predicting he's going to be the next UCLA coach to fail. But I was just unwilling to go there, mostly because... I think judging a coach after 13 games on the job is idiotic, but also because, and this is the point I made in the column, you know, Mick Cronin inherited a historically bad UCLA roster when he replaced Steve Alford. To be clear, he shouldn't be losing games to Hofstra, shouldn't be losing games to Fullerton. No UCLA coach should. Um, but it was pretty obvious before the season started that UCLA was going to stink. So I'm not surprised that UCLA stinks. I've talked to a lot of people about this since I wrote it. But I haven't talked to you, Norlander. Mm-hmm. So you tell me, dead leg Norlander, what do you make of the mess in Westwood right now? The leg is not dead. It's on the it's on the men. We're getting better here. Um, I'm going to be a little more critical. Um, this roster has zero business losing. You mentioned Hofstra and Cal State Fullerton. Those are both home games. UCLA at 7-6, and six, sitting at 128 in Ken Palm. I know it's his first year. Alfred did not leave the cupboard dry. I mean, Cody Riley, Jalen Hill, Prince Ali, Tiger Campbell, these are good players. Sharif O'Neal, I understand, is still rounding into form to become hopefully something better. This is not a horrendous roster. It's not a great roster, but it's not a roster that should be 7-6 and six with that coaching staff. What sticks out for me with UCLA, and really barring – uh, a horrendous losing streak. This could be the last time we talk about the Bruins on the podcast this season because what other reasons will we have unless something uh, obviously significantly newsworthy happens or they wind up losing eight in a row, in which point um, things really get dire in a hurry here. Um, was speaking to the staff in advance of the CBS Sports Classic when I was expecting to attend the CBS Sports Classic, and that was coming off the loss by 14 at Notre Dame and I happened to, uh, to catch some of that game and just kind of asked, who is your best player at this point? And Jaime Jaquez was the answer. And, you know, he's nice freshman also, I think, is a solid player. Uh, but really, there was no answer for that. There still is no answer for that right now. Um, so UCLA is a team with a lot of talent, no good players, still trying to figure it out. And if I were to get to the nexus of all of this – even though uh, Mick Cronin and his style is very different from Steve Alford and his style, and I, if you're a Bruins fan, this has got to be just particularly annoying because you figure, yeah, you're going to be down in year one, but, but were you going to be down to the point where you're losing at home to Cal State Fullerton? Is that as low of a loss as you ever had under Alford? I would arguably say yes. Um, because at the time you might have thought the loss to Monmouth was horrible. Monmouth should have been in the NCAA tournament that season, even though that was a season-opening loss. Um, 
I think the 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 issue here is the players recruited to UCLA and how they are or are not able just yet to get exactly what Mick Cronin wants to do and that staff wants to do. Um, that can be a you talk to coaches that can be a very challenging thing where you could take one team's roster of 12 to 15 guys and a completely different team's roster of 12 to 15 guys want to implement the same exact thing and one group is going to be so much better at getting it versus the other even if uh, up and down the talent is about equal there I think that's what you have here um, so those are my you know my brief th- thoughts I know you wrote about UCLA uh, in a column over the weekend uh, the 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 defeat did stick out, and this is alarming, and UCLA is probably not going to even make the NIT. Um, it has no business losing here, but I think more than anything, this tells me that if you're a UCLA fan, you need to wait until year three for Mick Cronin to really set an expectation level that you should be an NCAA tournament team. I don't know if things can get better enough uh, a year from now that they'll even be tracking toward the field of 68. They do have Dacia Nix on the way, five-star point guard, maybe the best point guard in the country, but they don't have anything else, I think, on the way right now. So they've got to add, you know, if Nix is, if Nixon rolls there and they don't get other great pieces around him, well, then he'll just be Ben Simmons. You know, he'll mm. he'll be Markel Fultz. He'll just be an awesome player yeah. on a bad team. So they still got work to do on the recruiting trail. But let's circle back to that roster for a second because you went through it and. I, I think it's important to note, and I know you understand what I wrote and said. Some people, shockingly, didn't. I don't. I didn't say it was a horrendous roster. Like, oh my God, that's the worst roster I've ever seen. It's clearly not. Um, there, there's top 100 players, you know, up and up and down the roster. It, it is a horrendous UCLA roster, though. Not a horrendous roster, but a bad roster relative to what UCLA is used to having. And there's a lot of different ways to chop this up, but let's just look at the starting lineup. The lineup that they started with against Fullerton was as follows. Jalen Hill, Cody Riley, Chris Smith, Tiger Campbell, and Jaime Jaquez. Um, Here's where they were in their high school classes. Jalen Hill, number 65 in the class of 2017. Cody Riley, number 48 in the class of 2017. Chris Smith, number 141 in the class of 2017. Tiger Campbell, number 91 in the class of 2018. And Jaime Jaquez, number 87 in the class of 2019. So that's zero top 45 prospects in the starting lineup. Only one top 65 prospect in the starting lineup. Zero McDonald's All-Americans on the roster for the first time in school history, which surprised me. This is something I had heard last week in Las Vegas. You know, somebody said, you know, this is the first UCLA team since McDonald's All-Americans became a thing in 1977 that hasn't had at least one McDonald's All-American. And I just sort of like, really? And the person I was talking to said, I think that's true. You need to confirm it, though, before you like say it on TV. And so I did confirm it yesterday. UCLA, this is the first UCLA team since 1977 when McDonald's All-Americans became a thing to not have a McDonald's All-American on the roster. Does that surprise you? It surprised me, but then some guy tweeted at me, and he was like, I, I can't believe that surprised you. Well, like, I had it in a court report two weeks ago, so I was aware oh. of it. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. It was just a quick one-line note. No worries. Yeah, no. So, yeah, okay. um, when I but I, when I first discovered it, it, it da- yeah, you're damn right it surprised me because even though it's UCLA and it has long been the power out west, uh, you just figure there's going to be a hiccup maybe even just once. So right, when I did learn it, I was shocked. Yeah, that's what I told the guy. I was like, you, you really think it's unreasonable to assume that one time in the past four decades – 
Uh, UCLA, for whatever reason, got caught with a roster without a McDonald's All-American. Like That's not unimaginable to me, but it, it has not happened ever until uh, this season. So the recruiting ranking stuff is not great. The relative to UCLA standards, um, the fact that there's no McDonald's All-Americans on the roster is like literally unprecedented for UCLA. And then if you go look at our list of top 101 players from the preseason, top 101 college players in, 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 in America, guess how many UCLA players we had on it? Well, none, and none were even under consideration either. I'll no, say. we at didn't least, even think yeah, about one. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Now, there were seven Pac-12 schools that had at least one player. Washington, Colorado, Arizona, Oregon State, Oregon, Washington State, Arizona State. Seven of the 12 Pac-12 schools at least had one player on our list. UCLA had zero. Utah State had two in the top 50. Mm -hmm. Northridge has one in the top 70. (laughs) UCLA has zero. So get out of here with like this. Like I, I know that in a vacuum, it's not the worst roster in the world. But for a UCLA roster, it is terrible, like historically bad. And beyond that, I think what you touched on is, is probably even the larger issue. That it's one thing when you've got a roster several levels lower than your program is used to operating with. It's another thing when that roster, it's not the guys you recruited. They, they largely didn't come there to play for you. Um, they have never played the style you're playing they probably have never been yelled at, cussed at the way you're yelling and cussing at them. Um, and and it, it can just I, – I, I hesitate to use the word soft because I don't know him like that. Mm-hmm. But I had multiple people who do know him like that say that it's Mick Cronin with a bunch of soft players. Like that's why this isn't working. And I do think that is, is simply the no McDonald's All-Americans, no top 101 players – that's not the reason you lose to Hofstra and Fullerton. But the reason you lose to Hofstra and Fullerton is probably talent levels down and you're just not connecting with these players because they're not your guys. They've never been coached the way you coach them. And you might not get this thing flipped around until you get your type of guys in there. I think that's what's happening right now. Yeah, I'll be interested to see if Dacian Nix can bring in more talent. Uh, he is a lot of fun to watch play. Uh, a lot of pizzazz, a lot of smarts. He's a big point guard. Um, I know we're spinning already ahead to next season, but uh, obviously UCLA fans who are watching this, uh, fingers you know, over their eyes as they're trying to get through this season, are certainly hoping that UCLA can bring in a relatively strong recruiting class so that UCLA can be something closer to Ohio State with D'Angelo Russell, which wasn't a Final Four team or anything like that, but was a lot of fun. And not, I think you hit the, you know, the Ben Simmons thing. Dacian Nix won't be Ben Simmons, but he is one of the closer comparisons since Simmons got to college in terms of um, being able to command an offense, really good vision, good passer. Um, better shooter than Simmons for sure. Uh, so we'll, we'll we'll wait and see, but that will be one of the the big things to watch in terms of West Coast hoops over the next few months. How UCLA can bring help, and then how it can grow, and who will or will not transfer out at the end of this season. The last thing I'll, I'll say on this um, is just going back to something I said in the introduction, which is the reason I didn't want to write a column, you know, questioning McCronin. Um, and, 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 you know, labeling this a failure already is because I do think it's idiotic. First off, I believe in McCrone. And secondly, 
um, I think it's idiotic to judge any coach 13 games into his first season. Like even when I led the fire tubby hire penny crusade at Memphis, it wasn't because of anything that happened in year one in terms of wins and losses. It was because after year one, it was he lost, I think, four of his top six players to transfer, including his best player who went on to be like first team all Big Ten All-American. Um, he wasn't recruiting. So it's like you got a coach who wasn't recruiting, who couldn't, who didn't hold on to his talent and wasn't working in general. Like that's not going to work. You fire Tubby, hire Penny. But I wasn't judging him off of the results of games in year one. That's that's a silly thing to do almost without exception. I do I do suppose there's sometimes where you can watch a coach inherit a certain situation and go, he's in over his head. He doesn't he should have never had this job. Um, this is going to be bad, undeniably. But. I don't think you can do that with Mick Cronin, somebody who's been to nine straight NCAA tournaments at Cincinnati. Like the guy is a proven, consistent winner um, in, in college basketball, and now just by being the head coach at UCLA, he's going to get a better caliber of of recruit because any UCLA coach is going to be able to get players. That, that is like one of the places where players, just particularly West Coast guys, they just want to go. And why wouldn't you? It's an amazing school, amazing city, amazing town, amazing history, I mean, uh, uh, amazing campus, amazing weather. Like why wouldn't I, I, if I were a basketball player, I'd want to go to UCLA. So he's going to get a better players and be his type of players. He's got a long track record of winning. And then you just look around the country and focus on what some of the successful coaches in the sport right now did in their first years at their current jobs. And you'll remind yourself, don't judge people off their first years at a new job. Rick Barnes went 15 and 19 in his first season at Tennessee. Two seasons later, he won the SEC. Three seasons later, or one season after that one, he had a team ranked number one in the country. Greg Marshall went 11 and 20 in his first year at Wichita State. Five seasons later, he had the Shockers in the final four. One season after that, he had a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. Here's a good one for you. Ben Howland, in his first season at UCLA, went 11-17. and 17. Two seasons later, he went to the first of three Final Fours with the Bruins. I am not necessarily predicting that kind of success for McCronin, but um, if you're judging him off a 7-6 and six record through 13 games at UCLA, um, I, I do think you jump in the gun just, just a little bit. Let's move on. So Kentucky beat Louisville 78-70 in overtime on Saturday. Um, we're going to get to that next, but first, check this out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. 
Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. So Kentucky beat Louisville this weekend inside Rupp Arena. Final score, 78-70 in overtime. And I don't want to spend too much time on this because we've discussed these teams fairly thoroughly, fairly consistently. But it was the biggest game of the weekend. It was on the network of Stars, America's Most Watched Network. Norlander, you wrote about it. What was your main takeaway from Kentucky over Louisville? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheat that because I don't really have a main one. Um, I'll focus on Kentucky and the win here. Um, man. So where do I start? Uh, there's a lot of good to come out of this for Kentucky. Um, not just that the win gives them a second, you know, big-time win. Now has two victories over teams uh, in the top five currently of Ken Palm. Two and one versus the top five of Ken Palm. The loss against Ohio State wins over Louisville and Michigan State. Um, so Tyrese Maxey goes for a career high against Louisville. He's now had his two best games of the season have come in the wins over Michigan State and Louisville. Probably a good thing. Uh, he had 27 versus the Cards. He had 26 earlier this season against Michigan State. Um, and yet, if you watch that game start to finish, I feel like after he might have said on the broadcast that Nick Richards was the MVP. I think that's kind of indisputable. Uh, might have even been the best game of Nick Richards' career, uh, which the stat line wouldn't scream that to you. I mean, he did. He had foul trouble with like a lot of Kentucky Wildcats had. Only he finished with I, only with quotations. You know. 13 points, 10 boards, and a block. But there must have been like eight or nine instances where he either got a bucket, made a big free throw, or got a board on either end of the floor that came uh, in a moment where that's that's exactly what Kentucky needed to either uh, take the lead back from Louisville, kind of stave off the cards. This is down the stretch of, of the second half and into overtime. Awesome to see Nick Richards get this kind of game because he came in highly ranked and, you know, potential one-and-done type. Now he's a junior, and he played very well. I say all that. Meanwhile, Emmanuel quickly, extremely quietly, had like 18 points, did an outstanding job on Jordan Wara, and I don't know if you got more teed up on Kentucky or Louisville, but I'll kind of you know volley the Louisville stuff back to you, only to say this with the cards. Like Jordan Wara was... A non-factor for most of the game. He had a, uh, a big three, uh, you know, down the stretch late uh, after not t- attempting a field goal for almost the entire second half. Um, but big out of Maxi, big out of quickly. Hagen's played pretty well. Richards was awesome, and the, the, these are the goods for Kentucky. I just saw enough there. And I don't want to overreact to one game. And it was overtime on the home floor, and Louisville had opportunities to win. But I just I saw enough there to say, okay, this is kind of why I thought this team should be top five level in the preseason. And it showed a lot of that there. Can it contain that and and keep it going as we as we head toward the SEC season? Kentucky's next game won't be until Saturday at home against Missouri. But good on the Cats. They had a lot of their guys step up and play well when they absolutely needed it. You mentioned Kentucky's got those two wins over top five Kimpom teams, first over Michigan State, of course, then over Louisville. So they played 12 games. They've got two wins over top five Kimpom teams and two sub-100 losses. Like, that's almost impossible to do. Yeah. 
Like, if you're good enough to beat top five teams, you're not vulnerable. Multiple hmm. top five teams, you're usually not vulnerable enough to lose to multiple sub-100 teams, and vice versa. If you're going to lose to multiple sub-100 teams, yeah, probably ain't good enough to beat top five teams. And yet, Kentucky through 12 games, it really is the most unusual body of work in college basketball right now. Through 12 games, two top five wins, two sub-100 losses. Um, Jordan Wara, awful. Two of ten from the field, one of six from three finished with eight points and three turnovers. And now if you look at Louisville's two losses, the Kentucky loss and the Texas Tech loss, in those games, he's a combined six of 26 from the field, Mm -hmm. two of 13 from three, averaging 20.2 points per game on the season, but only 11 points per game in those losses. So, like, I don't think they're just losing because he's playing poorly because they could have won the game with him playing poorly. But if they really want to try to, to cut nets down Atlanta, like he's got to show up in the big games. And I, I don't think there's like any re- – it's a small sample size. So I'm not like drawing big conclusions like Jordan Wara doesn't show up in the big games. I, I don't believe that. I just know that he hasn't shown up in two high-profile games so far this season, and they happen to be uh, the two games that, that, that Louisville lost. Uh, Maxie was great, 26 points. You know, he had 27 against Michigan State. Those are his two best – point total games in the season so it's almost like UK is better when he goes big this is something we've talked about really from the jump they need him to be their their leading score best player we can argue about other stuff maybe it's Ashton Hagens somebody else but leading score needs to be Tyrese Maxey he doesn't need to be good nine points 12 points eight points 14 points he needs to be not necessarily 26 27 but can you give me 18 19 consistently because um, if Kentucky is going to consistently be great, um, that's probably what they need from him. And I love the manual quickly. He, you know, he got a big point total. A lot of it came from the free throw line. Yeah. And I don't know if you noticed this. I just noticed it because uh, one of my friends is really in to mindfulness and breathing. He was legit doing breathing exercises at the free throw was line. He, I did not pick up on that, no. Yeah, he was like, you don't see – you see – some players do it in certain situations sure. sometimes. Like I saw a clip of Ronaldo doing it um, on a, a free kick at some point you know, in the past couple of years and quickly <laughs> okay. would step to the line. I'd be interested if somebody would ask him about it um, because I, I think he would acknowledge it is, it's not um, a coincidence that he's, clothing, he's actually standing at the free throw line with his eyes closed and he's breathing. He's taking deep breaths. He's closing his eyes, just trying to relax in that moment. It seems purposeful, at least. So it it was nice to see him uh, have that nice game. And so now, yes, Kentucky is back in the top 25 and one. And they are just like just like we said a few weeks ago. Like if you want to bail on Kentucky after the loss to Utah or another loss to Ohio State or the loss to Evansville, like you, you can do it if you want to. But what history shows is that you're almost certainly going to end up looking foolish. And that doesn't mean you, you don't bell on them with an AP ballot or you don't bell on them with the top 25 and one. Like those are two very different things. Like these are not um, mutually exclusive statements. Kentucky did not deserve to be ranked after the loss to Utah. But if you were still putting together a list of 10 teams, 15 teams that could win the national championship, Kentucky should still probably be on that list because they had, had incredible room to grow with these immensely talented freshmen. And John Calipari almost always gets his teams playing well as the season progresses. And now here we are, not even January 1st, and we got another um, big signature win. So I, I'm still a believer uh, in, in Kentucky. It'll be interesting to see um, you know, uh, you know, if, if they can avoid uh, reverting into uh, the basketball team that took 
you know, those sub 100 losses to Evansville and Utah. But I would bet uh, I'd bet on them being a factor at the top of the SEC, if not like at the very top of the SEC uh, for most of this season. And when the brackets uh, publish, some people almost certainly will have them advancing to the final four. Meantime, West Virginia upset Ohio State in Cleveland 67-59. That means the Buckeyes are 0-2 on the past three Sundays. they got to stop playing on Sundays, Norlander. It's not, it's not working out. First that Minnesota loss and now a loss uh, to, to West Virginia. Caleb Wesson was not good. Finished 3 of 11 from the field. Got fouled a lot. Made a bunch of free throws. So he finished with 17 points and 9 rebounds. I guess if you don't watch the game, that looked okay. But he missed 8 of the 11 shots he took. He was responsible for 4 of Ohio State's 22 turnovers. Just like Jordan Wara wasn't good in Louisville's loss this weekend, um, Caleb Wesson was not good in Ohio State's loss this weekend. In recent weeks, we've talked a lot about Ohio State. I honestly have nothing new to say about them. So let's just focus on West Virginia. Mountaineers are now 11-1 with wins over Ohio State and Wichita State. The lone loss came to Golden Gate Mike at the Garden by a bucket. West Virginia started this season 55th at Kempom. They're now up to number 17. Norlander, are you a believer in Bob Huggins Mountaineers. Watched the entirety of this game and am about ready to start buying in significantly on West Virginia this season, which you'll recall a season ago you scoffed at me when I told you preseason top 15 West Virginia in the AP poll would not make the NCAA tournament. That happened. I was wrong. And then this season I wasn't going to go a complete reversal on that, but I did think that West Virginia – and I, this was through equal parts belief that the that he just wouldn't that Huggins would not allow his team to suck two years in a row, and talking to league coaches, um, with the belief that there would be a strong return. I just thought West Virginia would qualify as a top six team in the league. Um, it's looking like it can be that. Yep, top ten in, in uh, defensive efficiency right now. Ken Palm and would be um, would be one of only. Three undefeated teams if it didn't lose to St. Uh, John's because we, we now we have just Auburn, San Diego State are the only undefeated teams. Auburn got a win on Sunday. Liberty fell at LSU, so we are just down to two undefeated teams. West Virginia so, so close. But you run up against Golden Gate Mike on the road, that's what you're going to get. Two-point loss there earlier in December. Be, um, be, be thankful you only lost by two, if we're being honest. Yeah, you're not you're not incorrect about that. Um, Derek Culver's a ton of fun to watch, man. And uh, Miles McBride um, helped that help West Virginia immensely. Um, came off the bench, uh, had 21. I believe that was a career high. I believe I heard the broadcast say that um, he is only a freshman, so I don't think he's had a better game than that so far um, this season. So defensively, all looked strong, all looked well. Um, do you know where you're going to put them yet in your Monday morning rankings? Have you assembled that? I have not looked at it yet, but I, obviously Gonzaga will be the new number one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, they Ohio should, they should have been your number one, but that's a that's that we can move on. Um, I would say West Virginia, to me, on the heels of this, unquestionably top twenty, maybe top fifteen after something like this. I will send my sympathies. One note on Ohio State. Uh, Adam Jardy is going to get his, he's going to be thrilled. He's getting his second shout out in like four podcasts here. He tweeted that Kyle, first he tweeted Kyle Young, Ohio State's uh, critical forward, had the flu and threw up before and after the game, uh, per Chris Holtman. But then he said Kyle Young could be facing appendix surgery, which is what I thought I had before I got my diverticulitis, different side of the abdomen. Kyle Young, I hope you are doing as well as you possibly can and don't require surgery as someone who is 
gone through just the worst of this stuff as of late. Um, sincerely, man, like that's no joke. The fact that he was, you know, even able to to be in the building uh, says a lot there. And if he's if he's got appendicitis, I mean. Dude played 22 minutes. I I really hope that he doesn't, and he's not. He wasn't like on the verge of having like a significant medical issue there. So, in all in all seriousness, Dude, I you know, had been appendicitis. You had it. Hurt. Ugh. So Dude, you, I was 12 you, years old. I thought I was dying. So you don't have your appendix. No, I haven't had it for 30 well, years now. I, okay, 30, I, I, 45. I, I, yeah. Dude, we had just got back from vacation. We were on vacation. I'm 12 years old. It was during the summer, and uh, it was a, I guess a Monday. My mom's first day back at work, and I'm calling her. I'm like, Mom, I'm not feeling well. My stomach's hurting bad. My, I'm, my, I'm like, I'm really not feeling well. She was like, Gary, I, I cannot come home. I just, it's my first day back at work. Please just, you know, take some Pepto-Bismol, and, and you'll be fine. I said, Mom, I don't, I don't, I've already taken it. I don't feel like I'm going to be fine. This goes on all day long. My well, parents, it was the early 70s. What do you want? My parents are totally discounting my uh, medical emergency it ends up with them finally realizing I'm about to – actually, they didn't realize I'm about to die. They just realized I won't shut up and that I do appear to be in real pain. Took me to the hospital. My appendix had ruptured. Oh, my gosh, dude. I had to have surgery like immediately. And here's the worst part. Same week as state baseball tournament. Ugh. So I'm, I am uh, the – star second baseman for the South Haven All-Stars, and we are in the state 12, 12 and under. Not shortstop, though, huh? No, I, never, I didn't have the arm for it. <laughs> I mean, I, that's the honest got truth. I couldn't play – I didn't have the arm for shortstop. I played second base. I was a, I was a high-level defensive second baseman who could really – like in, in number two hitter, I hit second. I could really get around the bases. I was good with the glove, arm not so great. And so I, now, I'm, now I just had appendix surgery. Like they just cut me on the side. So I couldn't play. And we get into, I think, semifinals, state semifinals. And the coach says, listen, how are you feeling? I said, oh, I just got my, my side cut three days ago. So not, not great. I had not played in any of the games. He said, if we need you to pinch hit, can you pinch hit? I said, I, 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 I totally appropriate. Well, you're, I took, 12. <laughs> you're 12. You're <laughs> 12. So I took I took some swings and I was like uh, I think I can get it hurts but I think I can get through it. You would think at some point my parents would step in. <laughs> yeah. <But> nope. <laughs> nope. It's so okay. So we, here's the deal. We get into I think this, we're playing seven inning games. We get in the bottom of seventh. Um, we're down a run. It's like second and third, two outs. GP. It wasn't GP back then. I was a little Gary. <laughs> so it was little Gary. Can you pinch hit? I said, yes, I can pinch hit. And do you know what happened? Don't even tell me that like you ruptured the um, the freaking stitches on your side and you started bleeding through the uniform. Don't even tell me you hit a home run, by the way, because I will not believe that. Okay, neither of those things happened. I took called strike three. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you stand in the box for all? <laughs> and you know what? You know why looking back on it, I think I took called strike three? Because it hurt to yeah. swing. <laughs> I didn't want to take the bat off of my shoulder. So I watched strike three, bust out in tears. I should have never been in a game. I really should have never been in like what where were the adults? Who put me in that stupid baseball game? Amazing. That's that is that um there were like three seasons in in of of serious like youth baseball in my life where I ended the season with a strikeout. <laughs> Or, or grounding into a double play. 
my my last high school at bat was a six four three double play with the bases loaded and us down by two runs. Terrible, man. I mean, that that, that, that no, trust me, nobody else remembers any of it. But I'll never like a ten year old baseball. I struck out to end the season. Twelve year old baseball struck out to end the season. High school baseball end of the season six four three double play. Man, I love I our I love our ion anatomy podcasts by the way <laughs> this really is becoming a thing and i'm i'm definitely all for it um so kyle young get good get yeah. better ohio, by the way ohio state needs you to be back at that elite level but west virginia just demonstrating that it is uh that it is there and we'll get to this later in the week on the friday podcast but just to give listeners a heads up because if you're not a fan of the west virginia mountaineers or its next opponent you're probably not aware of this but um potentially and I don't have the schedule in front of me, so maybe there is a better game. But it's looking like the potentially the best game of the weekend could be Ears at Jayhawks Saturday afternoon. They'll get a nice test. That will be coming in a matter of six days here. Uh, the West Virginia story is pretty great. Um, they went 15-21 and 21 last season, lost to Coastal Carolina in the CBI quarterfinals, finished 95th at Ken Palm. So this is really one of the – the best year-over-year turnarounds in the sport. You know, they're big up front, number seven in defensive efficiency now, great offensive rebounding team, holding opponents to just 25.4% from the three-point line. And it's just, I, you know, these coaches, like, you know, they've been through it all, and they're all well compensated. I don't have much, um, you know, sympathy for anybody. But, like, I really didn't like watching Bob Huggins struggle through that season last season he has been such a consistent winner in the sport for so long and 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 knowing bob for as long as i've known i just know how much i just know how much it kills him to have a bad basketball team like it really i think probably affects his mood on a day-to-day basis so for him to to have this bounce back season at least it appears it's on track to be a bounce back season uh has been fun i I wrote a column about this a few years ago but like i grew up hating bob huggins because of where i lived you know he was the head coach at cincinnati and and then i got to know bob huggins and he's like really one of my favorite guys in the sport he's super smart he's super funny he's fun to be around incredible storyteller and so i i think he's a hall of famer i know he's not in yet i think he should be and watching him have a relevant basketball team again that's good for the sport bob huggins having a good basketball team is good for the sport uh, yes, and this is going to be an NCAA tournament team this season. Uh, Ohio State's the best win, uh, Wichita State's the second best, at Pitt the third, and then going to get the opportunities in Big 12 play. They've got one more non-con game because of the SEC Big 12 um, challenge, if you will, that always happens the last Saturday of January. That's just at home against Missouri, so it doesn't look like they can get another good non-con win. But to this point, um, good progress so far, and that was – and we're going to get to another Sunday game in, in a few here – but that was, um, you know, the the big game to watch, and it wasn't a tr- true road game because it was played in the Cavs home arena. But uh, you know, there I were a lot it. of West Virginia fans there. A lot of West Virginia fans. There. And I, I didn't realize this. I guess I just I'm unfamiliar with Giants. West Virginia is only like three hours from Cleveland. Yeah, it's not that. We've talked about. Yeah, yeah, I know. Like, yeah, I mean, can you can you give me the capital of West Virginia right now? The capital of West Virginia. Can you give me the capital of West Virginia and the capital of Ohio? Of Ohio? The capital of Ohio, I, I think, is Columbus. I, I, yes. Okay. Capital of West Virginia? I have no idea. Can you, I mean, you don't, no, no shot? I really don't. I mean, I, when you say it, I'll go, of course, but I don't Charleston. know. Charleston. Charleston, West Virginia. Charleston, West Virginia, yeah. 
Is that where it, I, I should just shut up? <laughs> no, no, keep going. I'm only risking making myself come on. Stupid. I'll just I'll just be quiet. Uh, come on, I don't even know where you. I don't even know where you're going with this. There were a lot of what I was actually going to say is, yeah, I'm going to shut up because it would have been wrong. <laughs> it would have been wrong. Okay. What? What? Um, anyway, West West Virginia, relatively close to Cleveland, it led to um, that arena having a a. a a surprising, at least to me, number of West Virginia fans in attendance. Take it wherever you want it. Uh, all right. What's the next? What, what what next game you want to get to here? Kansas. Because after we watched uh, oh. West Virginia beat Ohio State, I, if you're like me and don't really have that much rooting interest in the NFL, you just said, okay, let's watch Kansas-Stanford at Maples Pavilion. Because you and I both, yeah. I went back and listened because I had to get our picks uh, I didn't write them down in real time. So I had to go back and listen to the. Oh, I got them. Uh, I wish I didn't, final, but I got them. Uh, final four and one uh, segment, so I could figure out who we picked. And I heard both of us say, "This is the game I'm most interested in this weekend." And it's not just because it was Kansas Stanford, but because it was Stanford against an undeniably legitimate high-level opponent. And we didn't really know what to make of Stanford. They were number nine in the, or, or, or maybe yeah, they're top ten. 11, the, yeah, eleventh yeah. in the net. Um, 11 and one record, lone loss, a one point loss to Butler. So it was like, hey, maybe Stanford's good. And then the game started. And it became pretty clear to me very quickly. <laughs> it was. They, they are not good. <laughs> Final score was 72 to 56. Um, Kansas opened on an 11 0 run, which is not, you know, whatever. That happens in college basketball sometimes. These Stanford dudes didn't score. I, oh, I know. <laughs> tell them, tell, tell the people what they need to know. They didn't have a field goal until 11.45. Nearly 12 minutes passed before they put the ball in the hoop. Parrish, they had four points with six minutes to go in the first half. Holy Jesus. I'm watching. I, like, I listen, I, this is what it looked like to me. Like, if you had a Division One team playing a high school team and they just couldn't, like, get a shot off. It was like, what? It, what is happening? Like, it, you guys tricked me? And you first you tricked the net. <laughs> to get and then and then I like looked net. at the record and looked at the net and I was like, okay, maybe Stanford needs to be in the top twenty-five and one. <laughs> I never felt dumber in my life, and I am somebody who tweeted last night <laughs> that Ohio State was making Clemson look like Oklahoma, and Stanford being in the top twenty-five and one made me feel dumber than that. Uh, I felt dumb about that. Yeah, mid-game tweeting definitive statements. It's <laughs> amazing, it. by the I way, how that. it's amazing how that never stops. It like, I, it just it keeps going and going. And that was a terrific, terrific football game. Um, like I, an all-time great football. game. That was just I, I was so thankful for it because first of all, NFL Sunday sucked. It was terrible. The first uh, college football semi was. You watch it just because, like, it's stupid how good Joe Burrow and LSU are, but it's just a total snoozer. And I was so – since NFL Sunday was just so blah and whatever, um, I'm, like, half interested in my Bears. Fine, they get to 8-8, eight and eight, so what, yada da. We move along. I'm like, just, all right, give me Kansas. Stanford, Stanford on ABC, by the way. I went back and checked YouTube. Was on ABC. Brent Musburger was on the call. It was against Arizona, the whole deal. I almost, uh, I almost shared that with you. But this was a complete letdown. And I'm. It was so dispiriting. Like I know it ended seventy-two fifty-six, and that's a bad loss. And it's, it was putrid. Okay, it, like th- that doesn't even do justice to uh, to what this was. Maybe Stanford can rally, but I'm going to need 
like top four in the Pac-12 status to believe in the Cardinal at this point because the non-conference schedule is just not that good. It's in the 300s. Um, lost to Butler. I know it's only by one point here, but this was – I don't know, man. You kind of hit the nail on the head in terms of what the Cardinal looked like against Kansas and, you know, playing, you know, JV to varsity a level up. It was – it was weird, man. This is your biggest home game. Like, they were having trouble making passes. It was bad. Like you're, It was really bad. Like, I can't remember the last time Stanford had a home game as significant or as hyped as this one and completely came out flat. You know, there. I know that, you know, if you talk to the players and coaching staff behind the scenes, they'll give you reasons for why it happened like that, Kansas being such a huge factor. But... Yeah, that was my letdown of the weekend. Didn't think the Cardinal would show up that bad. They did, and so now they are on the suspect list. And after the game, because this was the final game in this series, at least contractually, and apparently somebody asked Jared Haas about, you know, if the series is going to be renewed. He's like, ah, I think we're done. <laughs> I, think, I think we're done with this. And he actually, in the most diplomatic way, just said, scheduling Kansas is scheduling a loss. We don't need that right now. He didn't. Those aren't his words, but yeah. you read between the lines. You know, he was like, it's good to be on a national stage, but we got to think about us and making a foundation. And what's the point on being on a national stage if you're going to score one field goal <laughs> in 12 in, in twelve minutes? And by the way, I uh, also saw this in the AP story. He's now, Jared is, 1-18 against the top 25 teams uh, since getting to Stanford. So that's a, that's a rough record. Um, with Kansas, you know what? We were both at the Champions Classic when they lost that season opener to Duke, 60 60- 866. And when we talked about it, one of the things I think we both said is that, listen, if you're Bill Self, you're frustrated on one hand because you turned the ball over 28 times. But on the other hand, kind of encouraged. Like we turned it over 28 times against the top five team and still almost won. Like maybe, maybe that's actually a good sign. And you look up now, and Kansas is 10 and 2, both losses away from home to top 10 teams by a total of three points. They're up to number two at Ken Palm. Number 15 in offensive efficiency, number two in defensive efficiency. They look exactly like what we thought they would be, and that's a real national championship contender. Yeah, to this point, I think that's that's fair. Uh, you know, two at Kempom. Duke side note is one at Kempom, um, which little surprise. That's that's still preseason influence. You got to get that out of there. Duke's not the best team in college basketball right now. Pulled away from Brown, but it even had some issues early on Saturday against the Bears there. Um, but yeah, so as I mentioned earlier, Kansas West Virginia later this weekend. Uh, or I should say next weekend, we are technically recording this Sunday night, and a lot of you will be listening to this uh, on Monday as you prepare for uh, for the weird midweek New Year's Eve stuff. But yes, they are looking uh, they are looking solid, and you know, given the conference they play in and the record, we won't be shy on Kansas talk going forward. Um, this is just breaking. Oh, okay. I don't have Twitter. I, I rarely have Twitter. This is actually kind of exciting because I rarely have Twitter open when we do the podcast. Is it like serious breaking or like kind of weird breaking? Before you tell me, what kind of breaking do we got here? It's breaking serious, but everything's okay. Is it a coaching change? No, no, no. It's like if your parents call you and say, hey, listen, we, I got to tell you something. Everything's fine, but you need to know something. A Kansas uh, official basketball Twitter account just tweeted the following. Upon our return flight home from San Jose, California, roughly 20 minutes into the flight, one of the engines failed. Oh, my gosh. The pilot immediately contacted the San Jose airport where we returned and made a safe landing. We are grateful to the pilots and the entire flight crew of Swift Air. We will stay the night in San Jose and return to Lawrence once the plans have been finalized. That's a scary thing. Yes. You know, I I fly every week, 
and I've had some scary moments, but never a time when I thought, ah, I'm, I'm about to die. Like, never really got there. And when an engine blows on a, on a big plane, I imagine that thought goes through your head. And that's a, wow. that's a terrifying, terrifying thing, especially when, um, you know, we're coming off of a weekend when there was the plane, cl- plane crash in Louisiana right. um, with um, one of the, the uh, daughter-in-law of the, uh, of the LSU assistant was one of the passengers on that plane. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just such a sad story. I, d- I don't know her, but I have friends who know her, and you hear nothing but just wow. great things about her. Like, she's just a delightful um, young, um, you know, beautiful, uh, successful, you know, she was in our business. She was a sports reporter and just seemed to be, you know, you know, but just, it's, it's a, you know, not to get too off track here, but that kind of stuff freaks me out. You know, the idea, you know, like that woman woke up yesterday morning and everything was fine. She's married She's got a career. She is just going to jump on a private plane with some friends and go to Atlanta to watch her father-in-law, you know, coaching a college football playoff game. And then, boom, it's over. Mm-hmm. Like you're, The idea, and this happens to somebody, tons of people every single day. Like, you're honestly just super lucky if it's not you. Like, you, I know it's a cliche to appreciate every day and, and don't take anything for granted because I don't appreciate every day. And I, I take tons of stuff for granted. Yeah. And yet, you, every time one of these stories pops up, it just makes it, – it just – it's just a reminder. You have no control over anything. Like every, every, your whole life could change or end on the same day where you woke up and didn't have a worry in the world. And that is just a, such a wild, yeah. wild thing. There are um... – some uh, some kind of spooky echoes of uh, of the Illinois State plane crash. I wrote about that a couple of years ago, and that was so Tory Ward was an assistant on the Illinois State staff a few years back, and he and some Illinois State uh, boosters uh, took a took a private plane to fly from Illinois to Indianapolis to watch uh, the Final Four or the national title game, um, and then the plane crashed on the return flight home. Um, a private plane, a small plane like this. Um, and so here you have a situation where people fly on a private plane to get to, again, a playoff-type environment. Uh, definitely spooky. And you're right. Uh, I'm glad that everything is okay with Kansas. We, um, you know, it, it's, it's the n- nature of air travel, which is uh, stunningly safe, considering how many planes fly around this planet every single day of, of different sizes, um, there are plane crashes, and they are still more frequent than anyone, frequent than anyone would like. Um, but, we, you know, every other season, it feels like we get a story. You know, it was Holtman and Butler, I think, three years ago, because I talked to them after this happened. Um, they were on a plane. Like, the plane lost power. It got cold. The lights were out. Bumpy. I don't know if they had engine failure. But I remember Holtman telling me, like, yeah, you know what? For a good 10, 15 minutes there, like, did think it was done. Thought it yeah. was done. Thought this was happening. Thought our lives were over. Thankfully, that was not the case. Obviously, um, and so here, you know, because of these big planes, they're built to be able to withstand losing an engine like that. Um, like I remember, and we'll get back on track real quick here. But um, yeah, I mean, to your point, for commercial airlines, for a, for a, a commercial airline to crash, a, 
it, like it, it, a lot of stuff has to go wrong. Like just losing one engine is usually not. They could usually right. hand, endure that. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but still, like it, it does happen sometimes. Yeah. Obviously. No, I just remember. Um, I remember Dan Patrick telling a story when he went to do a story on um, uh, B- Sean Bradley when he was like over in Australia. And he was flying back from Australia to California, but they were like two hours into the flight over the Pacific. Yeah. And, and looks out the window, and it's just black plumes. The the engine's gone. And even then, and this would have been you know thirty years ago or whatever, you can still turn around. Uh, but that's there's there's just no doubt that's just super 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 scary stuff. So glad Kansas is okay. Um, I, I did not expect you to say that. I honestly thought you were going to say something like Kansas weirdly is announced on a Sunday night after a win that it's taken the next step in its response to the notice of allocations. Like, I didn't know where you were going with that. Uh, but, yeah, hopefully they'll, you know, be able to get back in the air as soon as possible and glad that uh, that are all okay. You never know where we're going to go on the podcast. You know, I, these, these, little, si- these little side it, stories, you know. Yeah, I didn't expect to be talking about that. So, yeah, glad every, everybody with the Kansas program is okay and, and obviously thoughts with uh, – Carly McCord's family and all of the victims' family in that plane crash in Louisiana. It's just super, super um, sad stuff. I don't know how you go back to basketball after that, but we'll try. Um, the reason we're recording this on Sunday night when we are is because we wanted to wait until after Arkansas, Indiana. And I'm glad we did because it was a, a, a fun game. Arkansas goes on the road, gets the win, um, 71-64 to improve to 11-1. and I don't know how much of it you watched, but Indiana was in control All of it. The, yeah. the entire game. It was like it, like the point spread was six. Arkansas was hanging around that. That's right. Most of the game. But, you know, it, it jumped up to 10. It was a double-digit lead for Indiana. It just never felt like Arkansas was going to win the game. Like, never. And then it's just shot, shot, shot. And next thing you know, Indiana's missing free throws. Arkansas is making shots. And they get out of there with um, a seven-point road win um, over an Indiana team that that entered the game with an 11-1 record. You know, they had beaten Florida State in that same building. And so that's a big win for, for Eric Musselman. And like I tweeted after the game, and I wish I wouldn't have tweeted this because I kind of boxed myself in. But I do think that the Arkansas being the top twenty-five and one on Monday morning, I, obviously I'm getting Stanford out of there. Like shame on you, yeah. for, shame on you, shame on you for ever being there. Uh, so I got a spot. Blame the team I, or blame the ranker, GP. What are we going to do here? I, we're going to blame the team. Okay, for tri- fair they enough. They tricked me. Seems, they tricked me. Same stupid record with only lost a Butler by a point, and the net loves. I got tricked. Sometimes you get tricked in this profession. I got tricked, and so they're gone. Probably never be back in, far as I'm concerned. I got a spot to fill. I might have to fill it with uh, uh, fill it with Arkansas. The 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 body of work isn't great, but it is 11 and one with a win at Indiana, lone loss being an overtime loss at Western Kentucky, and that's a Western Kentucky team that is outside of the top 100 right now. But it wasn't when it played Arkansas. Obviously, it has lost its best player, Charles Bassey, right. and you know it shouldn't be surprising that uh, they have. Uh, lost uh, the past two games to Rhode Island and Belmont and fallen out of the top 100 at Ken Palm. But, um, yeah, like Eric Musselman's doing it again. It didn't take him long to rebuild Nevada, and he inherited a bad situation at Nevada. At Arkansas, not nearly as bad, and it looks like he's already made it pretty good. Quick note on the game. I did watch all of it. Um, Indiana was in control. If you, you know, pause the uh, pause the you know the game, whatever, with three minutes to go, you figure, okay, they're going to wrap this up. It's not the case. 
IU was 9 of 18 from the foul line. I want to say – so IU was 50% from the foul line for the game, and I think Arkansas was 50% from three in the second half or damn close to it. They hit, they hit eight triples in the second half and kind of kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. Uh, impressive. Isaiah Joe's a whole bucket of fun. I love watching him play. A real talented dude. He will make an NBA roster. Uh, I have no doubt about that. Um, he will guide this team, and, yeah, they're – I mean, I mentioned it on a previous podcast, maybe even a couple. I didn't think Arkansas would be near the NCAA tournament discussion this season. It looks to be that I was wrong there. We'll see what happens in the SEC play, but they're better through non-con play than I anticipated. I didn't think this team would win 11 of its 12 games in November and December. Nonetheless, it has. And as for Indiana, um, we'll wait and see. I, I, you know, it, it's, a, it's a stinger of a loss cause, just because you, sh- you should have had it. There's no doubt about it. You should have had the game. Um, free throws hurt you. And then they just couldn't, like, they needed a couple shots down the stretch to kind of get it to two, and they just, they weren't falling. It wasn't going to happen there, and and so onward they go. But they won't be short on opportunities, obviously, going forward. We'll talk more Hoosiers in the coming weeks, I'm sure of it. But to me, more about Arkansas. And, by the way, my worst weekend yet, you got some ground on me here. So you went 4-1 and one in, the, in the final 4-1. and one. I went 1-4. and four. The only game that I won was also one that you won. We both had West Virginia. Uh, meanwhile, you got everything right except... We both thought Indiana would cover four points. So um, that brings me to 2019-1. You to 17-22-1 on the year for our picks. We'll obviously reset those records when you do the Friday podcast. But good on you. Good weekend. You had Kentucky to cover? Did. Ears? Did. Kansas? Did. And then we don't need to spend any time on this game, but holy crap, was it random as hell. You had Wisconsin to cover against Tennessee. It did, and then some. I don't even know what's going on with either of those teams. Maybe Tennessee had to adjust to not having Lamonte Turner, but that was straight up bizarre. The Badgers got to 7-5 and five with a 68-48 win on the road against the Vols. It was weird. I don't even know if you saw any of that game, but um, I don't know what the hell happened. Dude, saw it. I had to watch it. I was pre-game halftime and post-game on CBS Sports HQ, yeah. and I hope nobody ever goes back and pulls the video. Because <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you were so in on, on the Vols before? I was No, I was just saying the dumbest. Like, everything I said, it went the opposite <laughs> okay. way. Everything. So they're like, uh, so GP, what do you think of uh, Wisconsin at Tennessee? And you can say everything based in real stuff and it just doesn't matter i said listen uh, you know wisconsin's six and five overall oh and five away from the cole center and this is a tennessee team that's only lost once and it's like last 33 games at thompson bowling arena so like there's just nothing there that suggests you know that wisconsin's going to be able to go and win inside thompson bowling arena and obviously the vols are without lamonte turner but he hadn't been good this season anyway because he's been injured so yeah, that just means you put the ball in the hands of Josiah Jordan James more often. And it, I don't necessarily think it'll be a, a good thing, but it might not be the worst thing. And yeah, I, I just can't imagine a scenario where if Wisconsin can't win anywhere else away from the Cole Center, I don't know why they'd be able to win in Tennessee. And then they're up like a million at the half. So after you know, making seven three-pointers in the first half, they only average seven a game. So then, you know, they bring you back in at the half after everything you just said <laughs> <laughs> went the other way. And they're like, so, um, GP, what, uh, what do you expect to see in the second half? I'm like, well, you, you have to imagine the better team at home, and that's Tennessee, is going to make a run, you know, at, at some point in this half and get it down to single digits and, and have a chance to win this game. I think they were down 14 at the break, something like that. And I said, so I would just assume that Tennessee is going to make a run. Now, they might be, 
you know, in too big of a hole to dig out of this. They obviously are having problems scoring. They're down 14. It's a low, they're playing a low-possession team. You know, it might just – that's a big hill to climb. But I'd be surprised if Tennessee doesn't, you know, at least make a run to cut this into single digits at some point. Nope. It goes from 14 to, like, 22. <laughs> Tennessee never scores in the second half, I don't think. I mean, the whole thing was just – that was the weirdest result of the weekend. It was. And it suggests that maybe Tennessee is just not going to be that good. Maybe. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's possible. No no Turner. We'll see if they can adjust. But it was just uh, – I, I, I just – I think that was an example of not just a weird game – and then we can move on. Uh, but those two teams just – I know we're living in the bog of a season of unpredictability. I get all that. But I can't get a real read on either of those teams. And if they played again tomorrow night and Tennessee won by 27 at Wisconsin's joint, I don't think I'd be stunned. So uh, definitely the most bizarre result of Saturday or Sunday. I want to circle back to Indiana, Arkansas. You mentioned Isaiah Joe, like really one of my favorite players because he just shoots a million three-pointers. The green light could not be greener. He took 17. Yes. He took 17 against Indiana, made six of 17. Some of them were terrible, but I'm like so into it that I'm like, I don't care, man. Do you? One of them, it was one in the right corner in the second half. And like, usually I'm going to, he's a great, he's a good shooter. Not shooting a great percentage this year, but he's a great shooter. That's why he will be in the NBA. He's got size. He's a great shooter. Those guys have jobs now. Um, But there was one, he's in the right corner and he had to jump to catch the pass, like to keep it from going out of bounds. Comes down and immediately just goes right back up and shoots it. It was just like, that, that can't be. Yeah. You know, you always talk, hear coaches talk about, like, you know, you would catch it in shooting motion. Make sure if you're passing it, you get it where he wants it. This is when he had to jump to catch it. Comes down, pops right back up, fires it. Doesn't even, like, missed it, obviously, as a tough shot. But he, he's great. He takes 10 a game. Like, 10 a game every game. But he took yeah. 17 in this game, and that's a nice win for Arkansas. Some notes on uh, Muss real quick about how it didn't take him long to turn around Nevada, and now it looks like he's doing the same thing to you know a different degree at Arkansas. Nevada was 9-22 and 22 the year before he took the job. 9-22, and 22, finished 270th Ken Palm. Then Muss gets the job. And in year one, they go from 9-22 and 22 to 24-14. and 14. Finished 124th at Kempom. Now, that's not great, 124, but it's 146 spot improvement from the year before. Year two, they go 28-7, finish 54th at Kempom, make the tournament. Year three, 29-8, 25th at Kempom, sweet 16. Year four, that was last season, 29-5, 27th at Kempom, made the NCAA tournament. So Nevada went from 270th at Kempom and a 9-1 team to 25th at Kempom and a 29-win team, and in the Sweet 16 in a span of three years under Eric Musselman. And now here he is again. Arkansas went 18-16 and 16 last season, final season under Golden Gate Mike. Uh, they finished 54th at Ken Palm. At this moment, Arkansas is now up to 32nd at Ken Palm. They're 11-1 and one with a, a road win at Assembly Hall. So it – it just looks like, and we've talked about this before, the SEC's got a really strong stable of coaches now, and Eric Musselman being a part of it um, makes it even stronger, it appears. It does. Um, I'm not yet there that this will be a top five team in the SEC this season, but it's looking like uh, like they play they play hard, they're fun, and so while Arkansas has been off there, you know, just for the general college basketball following publicly, if you've yet to see them, 
Um, and they're going to be playing ranked teams with more regularity going forward. They are worth the watch. That might be a little unpredictable. They're going to take more losses going forward, but uh, NCAA tournament quality is certainly on the table, and it will not be a boring type of event when you see, when you see him play. Um, he's he must is turning this program in a hurry into the time, into the kind of team that you're going to want to see uh, whenever they play, whoever they play, as long as that's you know top half quality in the SEC. Uh, so we encourage you. When you get a chance, if you haven't subscribed to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, please go subscribe via Apple Podcasts. Rate it five stars. Leave a nice review. Um, it really does help um, expose us to possible new listeners in the way that all of that stuff is popping up when people are browsing for basketball podcasts. And this has, thanks to you guys, uh, turned into one of the most listened to basketball podcasts in the world. Um, that's a fact. And it, 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 you know, so we appreciate what you've done to help us get it there. But if you haven't subscribed yet and haven't rated it yet, um, one way you could help us is by going and do that. And one way um, we decided to encourage people to um, to do that is to uh, allow somebody to join the ranks of Devin Downey and Larnell and get a special shout-out on Saturday. If you go rate it five stars and leave a nice review, I told you I'd pick out one and you and, and, and um, read it uh, at the end of every podcast on Sunday. So here we are at the end of Sunday's podcast and I've got a review from JJ, the Arizona fan. Okay, uh, you picked it. You picked an Arizona fan. You know what? I'll tell you why in a minute. Okay. But first, well, let's listen to JJ's words. Okay. Parrish and Norlander are the best at giving you the storylines and the insight all college basketball junkies want. I listen to a lot of college basketball podcasts, and this is the one that is a must listen to every episode. They do a great job spanning the landscape and keeping you up to date. As an Arizona fan, they could be a little less East Coast biased, but they speak their minds regardless of which fan base they will upset. Shouts to Devin Downey, Chester, South Carolina, and Larnell, he's the legend. That's from JJ, the Arizona fan. And what made me smile most about this is, uh, first, he said we're the best, so that I'm automatically going to turn that frown upside down then. But um, also, he's an Arizona fan because... I, I hope I'm smart enough to realize this now, but still, every once in a while, you forget it. You tend tend to paint with broad brushes. So, like, if Kentucky fans are on your ass, you're like, Jesus, these Kentucky fans are maniacs. But you have to remember, it's just those maniacs being maniacs. All Kentucky fans aren't maniacs. I've met enough of it. They're not all crazy. It's just, like, there's a lot of them, more of them than most fans. And so then they, they just by the numbers, they have more crazies and more crazies with Twitter accounts. And so it feels like they're crazy, but they're not. And obviously... Uh, this podcast in Arizona had a had a rough off season, <laughs> and me more than you, me more than you. I can acknowledge that. I don't see eye to eye with Arizona fans on a lot of um, a lot of the off the court stuff. Um, but it's nice to know that, and I'm I'm sure they would think I, I like I'm just misguided, and I think they're just blinded by their fandom, right? And we'll probably never be able to to talk that through. But it's nice anytime you can be reminded. Hey, here's a diehard Arizona fan who's a diehard college basketball fan, and um, he seems like a reasonable dude. And I like reasonable people. So yeah. shouts to you, JJ. Shouts to you, JJ. Appreciate that. Appreciate the reviews. And yeah, I hope you know for those listening. And I'll even like you know pull the curtain back a little bit. I'm we are more than an hour in again. Now we did get off on some tangents, but I just didn't think there was any way we'd be that long. Um, but regardless, I hope uh, hope you guys appreciated this. And for Wednesday, so what we got? Oh, we got 
We got Tuesday night is New Year's Eve. Wednesday is New Year's Day. We'll get you your midweek podcast regardless. It's going to be coming. Um, and yeah, let's just go ahead and be honest. What? It's going to become Wednesday afternoon. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's totally fine. And we actually, in, Mon- I, I, yeah, yeah. I've actually got to be in studio New Year's Day. Get out of here. Do you really? Yes. Do, okay. I got one of these deals. I'm on sideline for Memphis Tulane CBS Sports Network on Monday night. KJ Lawson's triumphant return to FedEx Forum. Yeah. And then I've got an early flight to New York. And I was going to New York anyway before I even knew that I um, was in studio or before I even knew that I was on Memphis Tulane because uh, we're not going to spend more than 30 seconds on this. But my wife and I have hosted multiple exchange students, one from Germany and one from Italy. And uh, the German and her boyfriend are spending New Year's in New York. So we said, okay, we'll spend New Year's in New York with you. And then I find out I'm on the Memphis game. And then I find out I'm in studio on New Year's Day and January 2nd. So we're scheduling around all that. But on New Year's Eve, I will be out with my wife and uh, my German and my German's boyfriend in New York City. And so we probably ain't doing this early in the morning. We won't do it early in the morning. I'm supposed to be at a wedding in Brooklyn on New Year's Eve, but um, I'm – who gets married on New Year's Eve? My wife's cousin. Um, yeah. they, they realize that is are they doing it purposely or Listen, they just don't? And we will wrap this podcast in a second. But I, <laughs> uh, the, I don't. Uh, the so the cousin is is a man, and um, he's actually a Syracuse alum. I I, I doubt uh, he listens to the podcast, uh, but he does. He does like excuse hoops. Um, but it's in Brooklyn, and there's like there's no parking garages near the space. Like I don't. Anyway, the point I'm I'm getting at here is because of all of these factors, and you know, leg is getting better. Had the MRI on Friday, that was something um, good. Like I just had never had an MRI before. A little little weird, but I was totally fine. Um, I don't know if I want a chance. Like sitting in a car, getting down to Brooklyn on New Year's Eve. Who knows what the traffic's gonna be. How close are we going to be able to park? Are they, you know, is my wife and my sister-in-law, brother-in-law, they're going to have to drop me off, and then they're going to go seven blocks over to try and find street parking anyway. So, point I'm making here is, um, I anticipate uh, that whenever you want a podcast on Wednesday, I'll be good to go with that, and I might just chill with my kid. My kids will be in bed by eight, and I might just spend new year's eve by myself at my house because my wife's going to the wedding no matter what i mean it's she's that that part of her family extended family she is extremely close with um and i'll be good to go i originally started mentioning all this just to say a reminder um if you've been submitting questions continue to do so in the apple reviews we will give the review a highlight on sunday night and then the midweek podcast pluck out you know a mailbag segment for about three questions so be funny be creative ask anything you'd like whatever pops we can uh, we can mix it in there and then yeah I think the safest route here is a Wednesday afternoon podcast when you are in the comforts of your Manhattan hotel room you're still in the city and I will no matter what you know, hopefully uh, still be here and we can get ready to rock and then you know reset whatever was happened on Monday Tuesday Wednesday and then and yeah the whole deal you know what I'm getting at I have to be in studio CBS Sports Network at four o'clock, so this is sounding like a two o'clock eye on college basketball podcast. Yeah, I think I think that's, I should have my I, head yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't. By the way, we'll wrap up here. We should. We really should get going here. Um, <laughs> those of you who stick to the end, like you're our people. I get it. Um, I've had to work 
New Year. So I worked in catering back in the day, early college days. I've had to work New Year's Eve weddings twice before. They were when you got to work them, it, it stinks, especially when you're like 19 years old. But like we got paid double, and they were a blast. Like if you're gonna go all in, if you're like, you know what, it's something different. Whatever, we don't need to go to our friend's house for like the sixth time in the past seven years or whatever like that, or be stuck inside if you've got young kids and you just lean in on it. I think it can be an awesome thing. Um, but a New York City-based wedding um, where you know who knows, maybe 60% of the people might be taking public transportation to get there. It's a little bit trickier. But I think uh, unless I wake up on Tuesday. And the legs like even better than it is now. No threats of diarrhea. I got to worry about the diet, what I can eat. <laughs> I've been living oh. off like applesauce, white toast. <laughs> it's been rough. I don't know. Anyway, I'm rambling, but it's so it goes. So we'll see. Point is, podcast Wednesday. Think we can do it? Yeah, we, I know we can do it. It's just like don't expect it to pop into your phone if you're a subscriber until about 3 p.m. Eastern. That's what I'm... And it's also, my, yeah, but it's New Year's Day, so people are, you know, it's one of those, it's like, it's it's a weird day of the year anyway, so yeah, well, we got you, we got you covered regardless. I just can't believe that you tried. I, I realized about 15 minutes after the conversation happened, you tried to one-up my diverticulitis recovery by saying, oh yeah, by the way, when I was 12, my stomach exploded. Like, you tried to one-up me with the, with the with the stomach stuff. If I was actually trying to one up you, I'd have then said, and then, and then, three days later, I hit a walk-off bomb to win the state Mississippi State Championship. But that's not what happened. I took a call strike three. You I'm did. gonna be honest about my uh, athletic disappointments. I appreciate that. All right, shout him out. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. F. Teagle. He's a legend. Shouts to Larnell. Shouts to JJ, the Arizona fan. And please go subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast, rate it favorably, five stars, nice comments, and we're going to talk to you again on Wednesday afternoon. Till then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or... I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.